And good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening. Whatever the case may be, wherever you are on this rotating globe, welcome to another edition, a very special edition tonight, in the wee hours of the morning, here in the land of enchantment of the other side of midnight. Well, tonight is finally, finally, finally the night that it has come. Well, almost, we're just a, a few hours away. But as you know, a few days ago, the Artemis One unmanned test flight of the successor to the Apollo program, the Apollo capsule being replaced by the Orion spacecraft. I hope that is not lost on everyone, how incredibly, I mean, incredibly ironic and transparent and Emily Dickinson it was of NASA to name the new Artemis spacecraft. Orion, is on its way to the moon. And uh, sometime uh, in the next, uh, I think it was this afternoon, I think if I remember back to some of the, the nuggets from the last uh, press conference that they, they held, because there are no people riding inside Orion. It's an unmanned test flight. They've not, uh, they being NASA, have not held the daily press briefings that I'm used to back in the heyday of Apollo. So the last one was at, uh, at late afternoon on, on Friday. So I'm trying to remember back what they said. But I think this afternoon, we passed that invisible line between Earth and Moon, where we entered the region of the Moon's influence, or in technical terminology, it's a hill sphere. Uh, every planet with gravity has a hill sphere, meaning the point at which the gravity of the object that is uh, affecting you is less than the gravity of the stuff outside that sphere or spherical region around the gravitating object. So, in plain essence, the spacecraft traveling just a few thousand miles per hour from a high of over 20 2,000 miles per hour, and some of you sharper celestial mechanics experts out there will say, wait a minute, the escape velocity of Earth is 25,000 miles per hour. How come it was only moving at 22? Well, that explains why instead of three days, as we did during Apollo to get from launch uh, into lunar orbit, it's taken almost a week. It'll be six days. Um, just shy of six days. The reason is they programmed this mission to move slower. Why? Because it uses less fuel. Why? Because Artemis, even in terms of this uh, new rocket, the SLS, the Space Launch System, the successor to the incredible Saturn V, it does not have the power, really, of the Saturn V. It's an inferior rocket, even though NASA keeps saying, the most powerful ro No, it's not. You know, the Saturn V beat it by, by 90 yards. What makes it different is, by tweaking trajectories and adjusting for velocities and all that, you can squeak by with interim upper stages and all that until the Block 1B, Block 1C, Block 2 later versions of the SLS come online, and that will happen in the next couple, three years. So <clears throat> the SLS could barely get this spacecraft, this Orion uh, spacecraft uh, European service module combination uh, to the moon. And one way they did it was by basically just creeping over the boundary of the distance between Earth-Moon's gravity and, and the Earth uh, spacecraft gravity and the Moon's spacecraft gravity. And that happened uh, this afternoon. So now we are falling toward the Moon. We, I mean the Orion spacecraft, going faster and faster, accelerating. And something like, if I remember the numbers correctly, at 7.33 tomorrow morning, East Coast time, they will fire the engine, the uh, Ohm's engine, on the service module, the 6,000-pound thrust engine, uh, and burn for, I think it's something like 18 minutes, to basically slow down and be captured in lunar orbit. And then they will fire, 
in the forward direction to accelerate, whip around the moon and enter that very long, very uh, steep uphill climb to about 39,000 miles away from the lunar surface um, in this long, week-long orbit. 39,000 miles, that's twice 19.5. This mission is loaded with NASA's traditional symbolism. And we'll get all into all that when we go through the program. We've got a very interesting panel of guests, many who are kind of uh, hanging around. They've been hanging around all day, waiting to come back on the air. To- no, I'm just kidding. No, no, no. They've all gone and done their things today, and they've all reconvened. We've got Barbara Honiger and Keith Morgan and Robert Morningstar and um, Andrew Curry. Um, and Georgia is joining us in the third hour because on Sunday night she uh, teaches classes and they're not over until the fat lady sings. No, that's, that's another cliche. Anyway, she'll be able to join us in the third hour to provide some very intriguing perspective. And there's a story that I will probably uh, want to share when she's with us that is kind of interesting and is kind of a commentary that really belonged in last night's show, but since they're connected, you know, it will work as well tonight. Anyway, so we are we're hours away from this uh, outward powered uh, acceleration rocket burn of the um, uh, Ohm's engine on the service module of the Orion spacecraft, which will take it out into this long 39,000 mile uh, long orbit. And then they will come back down, do another powered uh, maneuver, which will slingshot them back en route to Earth. They'll spend almost a week traveling from Earth to Moon, and they will splash down off San Diego uh, like uh, in in two weeks. So, but during these two closest approaches to the Moon, and actually at other times, but really the opportunity in these two closest approaches to the Moon, within something like uh, 60 nautical miles, which is um, a little bit more in statute miles, they will have stunning views with the onboard high-definition digital television camera system, which will be taking incredibly high-resolution video images, movies, you know, film, motion pictures, whatever, of everything going on with a technology that the Apollo folks could only dream about because it hadn't been invented yet and would not be invented literally for decades until after Apollo. So what you're going to see, and unfortunately because of the way the celestial mechanics work, this maneuver, this powered burn, takes place behind the moon as seen from Earth. So what they're going to do is they're going to record everything on board because it's just digital data. And then when they come around the uh, right side of the moon, come over the hill, as the term uh, is is, uh, used, they will begin to downlink at whatever megabytes per second are required to send uh, a lot of incredibly intriguing video to Earth quickly so they can be sent out by NASA all over the world. And again, we're going to get into the details of this during our conversation, because as I was sharing with some of our folks where we went on air, NASA revealed something very, very interesting about this process that they did not have to reveal. And given that NASA stands for never a straight answer, and the fact that they didn't have to talk about this, but they did in a very Emily Dickinsonian fashion, um, I'm going to kind of walk through with our with our panelists tonight what this could mean in terms of people who are avidly looking to see what is going to be on this incredible live HD color television video that's not quite live because it's going to be recorded and then played back just a few minutes later. The question, of course, before the house is, is all of it going to be played back? Okay, moving on. Uh, That's item number one in my uh, section of radio with pictures. For you folks that are kind of over here from uh, hearing me on on George last Monday night, what you want to do, if you're on the other side of midnight.com, you want to click on uh, that uh, banner, 
which says very prominently, Return to the Moon Live with the EM team, Artemis One. Click on that. That will take you to the guest page. And uh, on the guest page, you will see uh, right under it where it says Fast Link to Items. Click on my name. That takes you down to the section of the page we call Radio with Pictures, which contains various items we're going to be referring to during the show. Number one is the status, the Artemis blog, the status of the uh, mission as of uh, uh, this afternoon. And as I said, I think in the headline you'll see that we have passed into the moon's sphere of influence. Item number two, 1A, right under it, is the everything you wanted to know about Artemis but didn't know who to ask. It's in this Artemis reference guide. That's a PDF. It's got all kinds of little subsections and uh, nuggets of information and little gems and all that. So click on that, and it you know it's, it's categorized according to uh, uh, sections and and. Uh, subjects like spacecraft or moon or propellants or power supplies or communications or you know live television schedules etc so it's all there item number two formerly number two is a an oldie but a goodie this is the apollo news reference that nasa and the grumman aerospace corporation put together uh around the apollo missions which are now like 50 years in the rearview mirror. And the reason this is important is because item number three, if you look carefully at the table of contents, when you click on item number two, um, you'll see that what NASA did is they collaborated with the two major contractors for the Apollo spacecraft combination, the command module, which took astronauts to lunar orbit, the lunar module that took two of the astronauts down to the surface and brought them back up where they rendezvoused with the command module, which then brought them home. So it was the Grumman Aerospace Corporation that created and designed and produced and manufactured and tested the lunar module. It was the uh, North American Rockwell Corporation in Downey, California, which created and produced and uh, tested and sent to the moon the Apollo command service modules. And each major corporation had the collaboration with NASA to create their own voluminous, incredibly detailed press kits. So I put that up there so you can kind of compare the level of detail that we were fed during Apollo as members of the fourth estate versus what NASA is now telling the world, the American people, the press, the media, television networks, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, etc., uh, about Artemis. And you'll notice, if you're interested in this kind of stuff, there is a difference. And I want you, as a sophisticated connoisseur of news and information, to be aware of the difference. There's also another uh, reason, which is in item number three. Because if you look in the table of contents, of the uh, Grumman uh, Apollo News Reference, you will find my name and a section called The Moon, and that is amplified in section number three tonight, item number three, because in their infinite wisdom, for some reason, uh, the Grumman Corporation, which produced and created the lunar module, humankind's first modern spacecraft to go to the surface of another world, they asked me, yeah, Richard Hoagland, to write the section on the moon describing what they were going to do why they were doing it and what the effect would be on humanity in the so-called out years in terms of a result so i actually have a little teeny tiny part of ownership in the extraordinary historic one-of-a-kind apollo program to send americans to the moon first before the Russians, enunciated back in 1961 on May, uh, was it May 25th? Yeah, May 25th, 1961, before a joint session of Congress by President John F. Kennedy. So without further ado, um, I want to check and make sure that our panelists are standing by, because uh, first up, we're going to bring on uh, Barbara Honiger tonight. As you know, Barbara was a member of the Reagan White House. She served in the White House in a uh, senior policy position. 
She was actually involved, as you're going to hear, in uh, opening the door to a little-known program to help women astronauts become astronauts at a time when NASA was squeaky clean white and squeaky clean male. You know, just a bunch of white guys hanging out in short sleeve shirts and narrow ties with pocket protectors full of pens. Um, that changed in part because of Barbara's efforts in the Reagan administration. And to give you an example, um, we've all heard or some of us have seen the movie Hidden Figures about the uh, mathematicians behind the scene, including one brilliant black mathematician who basically John Glenn would not launch without making sure that she had checked his his uh, flight plans and his celestial mechanics and all the uh, attributes and assignations of a, a mission into Earth orbit. Well, when we launched Apollo 11, and I say we as the country, or maybe we as I was a teeny tiny part of Apollo, when we launched you know, uh, Neil and Buzz and Michael into orbit to go to the moon on Apollo 11, there was one woman engineer in the mission control center at Cape Canaveral, uh, part of the launch team, the, the launch uh, control center, the LCC, who was overseeing the incredibly complex engineering around the Saturn V, the Orion, the, Orion, the Apollo spacecraft, et cetera, et cetera. One woman out of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of male and 99.99% white engineers. So now we fast forward the film, it's 50 years later, and one third of NASA is women. One third. I mean, two thirds are still men. Most of them are still white, but as a country, you know, this is a work in progress. We're moving toward a more perfect union. We ain't there yet, but one third is better than one. One out of hundreds, who by the way is still around, and is, uh, you know, sounding incredibly prescient and uh, perspicacious and, you know, is, is totally as her wits about her. And I, I wish that some network would snap her up to kind of give commentary on Artemis, given that Artemis is formed and embodied and built around the concept of the woman, the twin sister of Apollo, Artemis herself, the goddess of the moon. So, um, with on that note, uh, let me open the mics here. And Barbara, welcome back to The Other Side of Midnight. It's been forever, like 24 hours since I last talked to you. <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd just stay on the program all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there are several things I want to talk about, but given that we would not be here tonight without a president named John Kennedy, and he right. was so rudely and horribly and abruptly taken away from us, and that you and I and Robert Morningstar share in the idea that he was killed in major part because of his efforts to go to the moon and to involve the Soviets and to unveil what was really waiting for all of humanity as part of the whole ETUFO paradigm shift. You just have come off uh, the second day, I think, at the annual JFK Assassinations Conference, Tell us what you have found out and then lead into what we should know regarding Kennedy's role in going to the moon. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll tell you, I've, uh, yes, you're correct about that. Um, I literally, about 15 minutes ago, walked in the door here in the suburb of Dallas, Arlington, Texas, from literally 12 hours at the second day of the uh, CAPA conference. Uh, and that stands for Citizens Against Political Assassinations. It's the uh, organization that puts on an annual JFK conference here in Dallas. Um, the, the chairman of the board is Dr. Cyril Wecht, the, the famous... Uh, oh, the forensic pathologist. The famous forensic pathologist, and he's just amazing. hes I believe he just turned 80 or something like oh, that. Oh, is that all? Gosh, okay. Yeah, that's all, yeah. <laughs> I, I think our president just had a birthday today, turning 80, I think. Uh, I, I think you're right. You mean Biden? Yeah, yeah. How many yeah, presidents well, do we have? <laughs> well, and I think isn't Nancy Pelosi 82, and God knows McConnell, he's getting up there. The, by the way, people, these are... 
these are the top three people who would be president of the United States. They're basically in their 80s, you know. Um, so what does that tell us about, uh, about uh, what do you call that, octogenarians, right? <laughs> it, it tells us that state-of-the-art medical technology is really, really very good and getting much better. And the physics is with us because these 80-year-old folks do not resemble my grandparents in their 80s at all, at all. No, no, exactly. They're just amazingly young for for their age. And, you know, I'm 75, just for the record. I turned 75 on October 28th. And, you know, I, like, like you, I'm sure I feel I'm only 33, right? Anyway. See, I think part of it has to do with motivation. You know, there's, yeah. that, there's that old cliche, rest and rust. It's the yeah. fact that we're dealing with people who have a mission, as John McCain loved to say, higher than themselves. And I think that keeps these people focused and young and operating far beyond the, quote, norm, far beyond expectation. Yes, and I would say that applies to those of us on the show as well. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> <laughs> hold on, hold on. Water, water is very... My apologies. Yeah, okay. I, I hope you have water. I've been, I've been talking to people for literally 12 hours, so... My voice may break every once in a while here, but but I think your first question was you'd like to hear a bit about the conference, right? Yes, yes, by all means. Okay, well, it was a wonderful conference. Now, this is something like, uh, you know, I've been to many JFK conferences, many of them in Dallas. Uh, I've probably spoken at four or five of them here in the last five or six years. And uh, this time, I just decided I was going to have the luxury of, of just being in the audience and taking notes. And I'm glad I did because it was so information packed. But what I thought I'd do is I would just briefly let you know some of the highlights from the program. Um, we, we, we watched Oliver Stone's full four-hour new documentary, which I think it's called uh, The JFK Assassination, um, Destiny Betrayed. In other words, uh, it's Destiny Betrayed is in the title, and I believe on Amazon Prime. Um, there's a two-hour version, but don't bother with that. Go to the four-hour four version. It's in four parts, and I highly, highly recommend it. So we got to see that. Uh, it is available on Amazon.com. Um, Jim DiEugenio um, has published a book. I have it in my hand right here in a moment. Um, Diogenio uh, was basically the, uh, he was the scriptwriter for this amazing film, new film of Oliver Stone. And um, of course, he's the author of a number of great books on, on the JFK assassination. But this one is called JFK Revisited Through the Looking Glass. That is the name of the book that goes with both of the films. Um, JFK Revisited Through the Looking Glass is also the title on Amazon Prime of the two-hour shorter version, but I don't recommend it. I recommend JFK um, Destiny Betrayed. Well, see, the well, thing these, these days is you can watch what I call asynchronously. You watch for yeah. 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you go do something else, you're bored with what the, something else was, you come back and you watch another 20, 30 yeah. minutes, or you have lunch. Or, in other words, it's all on the viewer's schedule, not being programmed by a network where you have to be there or you'll never see it again. Absolutely. You can watch it at your leisure. Um, so that that was, there were basically every single presentation was great. And uh, so it's hard to pull out the highlights, but I'll give a few. Um, <clears throat> Steve Jaffe, he's an, he was an investigator for Jim Garrison, uh, and he talked about his experiences personally going to France to obtain the Zabruder film from French intelligence. That was fascinating. Um, one of the most exciting talks was by Dr. David Mantic, M-A-N-T-I-K, um, about what happened in JFK's to JFK's limousine, uh, but it was it was a more important. Uh, uh, yeah, I, more said, I think I had him on the show a few years ago. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad you did. Well, one of the things that was fascinating to me, and I think this is important to say, <clears throat> even though this was a JFK conference, and even though my focus, as you know, is is really on 9/11 and has been ever since 9/11. Um, and I'm now the uh, the chairman of the board of the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry. 
uh, and the author of October Surprise, you go to a conference like this, and there were probably at least 65 to 70 people, I mean, paid, and then it was online for, I'm sure, hundreds or maybe maybe a few thousand more. Um, <clears throat> but in any case, the amazing thing that happens is these people are truth seekers per se. So even though it's a JFK conference, if they see somebody that they say, oh, my God, you're the author of October Surprise, and they want to talk to you about that. <laughs> uh, and then somebody else says, uh, oh, my God, aren't you involved with 9-11 Truth? i got to talk to you about that. And so there, there is this synergy that's happening at these truth conferences. I call it the, the – it's the truth movement per se. <clears throat> and so this one was especially – vibrant because there was all this cross fertilization between basically 9-11 and JFK uh, uh, truth seekers. Probably the most exciting presentation <clears throat> was by John Newman, Dr. John Newman. He has, of course, uh, he's now just published an amazing book. I have that in my hand. It's his fourth book uh, on the JFK assassination. It just came out. It's called Uncovering Popov's Mole, the assassination of President Kennedy. Well, this is very, very critical. Um, so what he basically <clears throat> he basically demonstrated to us in an hour presentation uh, that uh, this this def this uh, Russian uh, defector uh, warned uh, warned the United States intelligence community uh, warned them that there was a an extremely high level mole uh, in the CIA, and this was of course in the lead up to during and after the Kennedy assassination, and <clears throat> he has I'll just leave it at this he has identified that mole. And the amazing thing is that he has demonstrated that that mole, whose last name was uh, something like uh, Soli, like S-O-L-I-E or something like that, um, that this mole was actually the head of the security department, of basically separate from, uh, and in, a, in an interesting way, above James Jesus Angleton. And so basically the bottom line is, the main mole hunter of the CIA before, at, and after the Kennedy assassination was, in fact, the main Soviet mole hunter was a Soviet mole. So that's the bottom line of that amazing presentation and book. <clears throat> um, I was also very, very excited when uh, Dr. David, and he's an MD doctor as well as a professor, um, uh, Dr. David Mantic on what happened to JFK's limousine and uh, an amazing presentation. Uh, he came up to me at the beginning of the conference during the first break, and he said, you're Barbara Honiger, right? And I said, yes. He said, you're the one person I want to talk to at this conference. And the room was full of very famous people um, who have been working in truth movements, and including JFK, of course. And so we spent many, many hours together during breaks and during meals, uh, and the bottom line is he is extremely excited about 9-11 Truth. Every single person that I met, I gave away, literally gave away, and I put them on the table, and they, they took them, at least 60 of my DVDs on the Pentagon attack on 9-11. And most people I talked to had already watched it and were bowled over by it. So there's, there's this incredible synergy in the truth movement. And we're cross-fertilizing, which is a very, very good sign. Um, so I could, I could give you All right. We are at the bottom of the hour. Yeah. Let's hit pause. My guest this morning, my first guest is Barbara Honiger, who, as you know, treads several different realities simultaneously. And we're talking at some length tonight about John Kennedy. I'm going to read an editorial by a, a, a colleague of ours, very timely, that came out today. And then I'm going to have Robert Morningstar talk about the same thing. Because John Kennedy is the guy who basically is the grandfather of why we're going to the moon tonight and why we're on the threshold of potentially astonishing, earth-shattering, paradigm-changing, history-making revelations about what's really on the moon and how it can change everybody's lives. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return.
Radio.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 cents a day. Support the broadcasts that provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back to the other side of midnight for this Sunday night, October, November 20th, 2022. Lots of twos in there. And an 11. Uh, we're talking with Barbara Honiger about the current, um, I'll use a kind of a you know, catchphrase here, a JFK Assassinations Conference, which actually is larger and covers a lot more assassinations for political reasons and just JFK, but that's really what gave it impetus all those decades and decades ago. And the reason we're talking about this is because it was literally on the eve of consummating an historic agreement between the United States and the USSR, between Kennedy and Khrushchev, to go to the moon together after Kennedy had launched it as in competition with the Soviet system, the Soviet uh, ideologues, the Soviet technology, the Soviet state, the mindset, freedom versus communism, freedom versus autocracy. God, what does that sound familiar? And he was on the verge of turning that on its head and going to the moon with the Soviets and discovering the ruins on the moon with the Soviets. And then he was killed. And this editorial writer, which I'm going to read shortly after Barbara gets to the right stopping point, he brings it all together with the other perennial cover-up which could have affected mankind's destiny decades and decades ago, if not even longer, which is the whole UFO, now UAP situation. We're on the cusp of some incredibly historic breakthroughs, one of which could literally, when Artemis does its powered flyby at 60 miles above the surface of the moon tomorrow morning, could kick off a totally new chapter in an unfolding, unlimited human future for all 8 billion souls on planet Earth tonight. Okay, Barbara, back to you. Okay, <clears throat> well, I'll say a few other things about the uh, JFK conference and kind of breaking news. And then I want to be sure, I don't know if this is the right part of the program, but I would like to draw people's attention at some point, Richard, to my Saving Apollo 11 article and this phenomenal synchronicity of many between you and I and our experiences having to do with the moon. Um, my Saving Apollo 11 article is my second item, uh, number two. Um, the subtitle is How a Top Secret Corona Satellite and Fast-Thinking Navy and Air Force Weatherman Saved the Apollo 11 Astronauts from Disaster Upon Splashdown in the Pacific. And this is a phenomenal story. Everybody has to read it. <clears throat> so... Be sure and go to that. That's uh, number two uh, in my items tonight. Um, so I don't know if we're, we're going to be talking about Artemis and the Moon yet, but you want me to finish with JFK? Yeah, yeah by all means. Uh, okay. So another major highlight for me was Dr. David Montague. Does that ring a bell? Not for me. 
Okay. Well, um, Dr. David Montague was, he's, he's a young man. He said he was 55, but he looks like in his, in his, in his 30s. Um, Dr. David Montague, um, he is now uh, the Associate Vice Chancellor for Academic Affairs at the University of Arkansas at Little Rock. But most importantly, he had been the senior investigator for the very, very important uh, United States Assassination Records Review Board during the Clinton administration. And his presentation was on what it was like to have absolute clearance, top secret PSI clearance and top secret SCI clearance and to go into these skiffs and to go into these uh, secure rooms at the National Archives uh, in um, uh, in D.C. and Maryland and two, two locations in Washington, D.C. and Maryland and to go in and look at the um, look at their, I believe it was the original of this Bruder film, frame by frame, um, to to actually uh, go into the cold lockers in a in a space suit, you know, a a, a clean suit, uh, like you'd have to be in in a in a uh, you know uh, high level security bio lab, uh, and he would go in and he would he would see. Uh, Jackie's dress with the blood still on it. He would see Kennedy's shirt with the blood still on it. I mean, it, it was that was that was a presentation that brought things really wow. down to earth. That was phenomenal. So um, yes, I agree with you, and maybe that's a that's a good link to go back into the moon and space program. We wouldn't be at the moon. Uh, we wouldn't be going to the moon today if it hadn't have been for JFK making that a goal for all of humanity. So, um, you know, before he died and, um, you know, it's finally happening and this is his legacy. Okay, well, let me read this editorial because this is from uh, Rich Sheck, who I have talked to about being on the show and we're kind of trying to yeah. juggle dates. Uh, we've never met. We've actually never even talked. We've exchanged a lot of emails. I agree with some of his analyses. I really dramatically disagree with some others, but uh, you know that's what makes horse races. And as a, as a fan of the First Amendment, you know you don't want everybody automatically being on the same page if they have evidence and data that uh, comes up with something different. So uh, he wrote this uh, and sent it around today. Uh, Robert, I think, is familiar with the Robert Morningstar. So let me just read this, and then we're going to. Uh, I'll have you comment and I'll bring Robert on uh, to kind of back into this and then to, into his work uh, on the assassination and his perspective, which is very similar to yours and mine, that one of the prime reasons that Kennedy was killed was to basically cut off our access to the whole UFO extraterrestrial uh, phenomenology, which means someone's trying to deny our history and, and keep us in the dark because it is terribly... Uh, embarrassing and or deleterious to their own plans for the human race that uh, the, the cooperation between the Soviets and the U.S. that Kennedy suddenly decided to foster could not be allowed to stand. So this is what uh, Rich Sheck said uh, this morning. Mm -hmm. Quote, dark journalist Daniel List invests almost four hours exploring the Kennedy assassination in his latest video. And then he gives a um, um, uh, YouTube link, which I, I will actually post this as one of my items, you know, after the show. Continuing, the most dramatic conclusion he comes to is there is a direct connection between UFO disclosure and the murder of the former president. Yes, the CIA was involved in the event, but needs to keep it covered up in order to avoid revealing the full truth about UFOs. President Trump was mandated by the 1992 JFK Act to declassify all the assassination files in late 2017, but balked at this legal requirement, an action I deemed impeachable, says Sheck, because he failed to faithfully execute the laws as the Constitution demands of the chief executive. Now come the list to speculate that keeping the files closed six decades after the killing has far more to do with sustaining ex-protect control of UFO information 
than avoiding the embarrassment of CIA involvement. This is a theme List has visited many times in recent years, but his ability to contextualize the JFK era and the topic of UFOs while relating it to current events is quite remarkable. In a previous podcast, List has suggested that the Mar-a-Lago raid may have something to do with files that Trump might have taken with him pertaining to JFK's death and UFO secrecy. I agree. For those looking to be impressed by DJ's ability to connect dots, seeing Roswell on the map in one scene from Seven Days in May, one of my favorite films, the classic 1960s film about an attempted coup by disgruntled members of the military that fascinated JFK because he turned over the White House when he went to Camp David to the film crew to shoot parts of the film at the White House before 63, may be enough to impress skeptical viewers of how powerful are his many insights. That and so much more makes it worthwhile to view this update as a way to honor the memory of JFK's legacy 59 years after his murder on 11-22-63, and to see how the echoes of the assassination can still be heard today. The quest for truth and the end of UFO secrecy continues thanks to the work of List and many other researchers to whom we owe a debt of gratitude for their tireless efforts. Comments? Well, Mark? yeah, that's, that's great. <clears throat> I agree with Richard Check, whom I know. And, um, you know, that reminds me, well, first a question. Uh, did I understand correctly? And if so, I didn't know it. Did I understand correctly that um, President Kennedy, while in the White House, while in office, um, allowed uh, scenes to be shot for the movie Seven Days in May in the yeah, White House? Yes, yes. That's oh what was so God, stunning. No, he was involved in the production, which oh means, again, in an Emily Dickinson fashion, he knew what was could happen and he was trying to tell the truth like Eisenhower, remember he warned about the military industrial complex. Well, JFK did one better. He had a whole damn movie created oh using the White House, using the real Oval Office as the scene to get the message out to the mainstream in the form of a Hollywood production, which is oh, incredibly important that. to read. That's incredibly important. Yep, yep. Um, now, 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 here's something else you don't know. Um, who was... Obama's Secretary of Defense. Well, that was an, um, oh, Obama's. Yeah, uh, Obama. Obama. Say again. Obama, that, that, was, uh, that was my neighbor. Um, uh, my neighbor, <laughs> I'm, I'm spacing on it. Um, Leon Panetta. On no. the way, yes, Leon Robert? Cohen, isn't it? No, I, well, we can we can obviously Google this. Okay, here's the point. On the way back from a meeting in Afghanistan, the Secretary of Defense sent a message through the New York Times as a direct quote in the New York Times about what he was watching on the way back to Washington to debrief the president on the status of the incursions in our you know, forces against terrorism in Afghanistan. And the film he chose to watch on that flight back from Afghanistan, which he told the New York Times reporter who put it in the paper, which obviously was a message, was seven days in May. Oh my goodness. Okay. And then and then Obama fired one of the I think the guy who was in charge of the whole uh, Afghanistan military uh, deployment in a very yeah. controversial uh, fashion. And there was also, you know, uh, uh, Michael, what's his name? Who's the who's the former head of the uh, uh, DIA, Defense Intelligence Agency, that Michael, Michael, that Obama strongly recommended Trump not get involved with. And of course, Trump did exactly the opposite. Um, I can't remember you're his talking, name. You're, yeah, yeah, you're talking about Michael Flynn? 
Michael Flynn, Michael Flynn, yes, yeah. yes, mm -hmm. who has a brother who was a general in the Pentagon during yeah. the January 6th insurrection. Absolutely. You know, what a tangle. The point is the common through line here is military industrial takeover of civilian authority of the United States of America. Right, okay, I have one comment on this. I, I, I actually think that um, <clears throat> that these references to seven days in May, that it's that it's some kind of a code. Um, but it's, it's an extremely important fact I have to be thinking a little bit more about before I make any further comments in the future. But there is one thing that, that was said that I learned at this conference, I meant to mention it earlier, that it, it sent chills up and down my, my spine, frankly. Um, and that is, um, if you're interested, uh, a little bit later in the program, I'll go into my notes and I'll have to get the exact name for you. But the bottom line is, uh, there is a, a JFK researcher who has published this, and I have the title of the book I can get from my notes later in the program if you want. <clears throat> There's a JFK researcher who was told by another JFK researcher um, that that second JFK researcher uh, had an inside source, very high-level inside source, regarding, of course, everything surrounding the JFK assassination. And the topic came up, well, why do all these presidents, one after the other, even after promising to do so, fail to declassify the records, even though the law requires them to, all of the JFK assassination records? And by the way, um, the new deadline is next month on December 15th for all of the records that are not declassified yet to be declassified and released to the public, December 15th coming up. Well, the what, what made uh, the pins and needles go up and down my spine, literally, uh, was when this person giving the talk um, said that the second JFK researcher told the first that he had been told by a high-level inside source when they were talking about that, ask, when he was asked that question, he said, my source told me, my source said that he had seen all the records, that he'd seen the, the unreleased records. And this was some years ago now, maybe within the last six, seven years. Right. Um, before Trump, just before Trump, apparently. But anyway, that he'd seen the unreleased records and that the truth was too terrible to ever be released because... The American public, if they knew, would never understand why. And there was something about this too terrible uh, to ever be told. And that rang a bell. Well, it has echoes of the third prophecy of Fatima and the Pope. Well, I, what I was going to say is, you know, not that Trump is the greatest truth teller on the planet. <laughs> okay. okay? <laughs> but um, he claims... Because the uh, the JFK Records Act uh, required uh, the documents all to be released during his term, I believe. What was in that 2017 or something? Mm -hmm. And he was he claims that he was shown at least a good deal of the still unclassified records, and he went public saying that based upon what I have seen, these records must never be released. It 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 was. A very similar message to the truth is too terrible. Well, then what's the point of Madisonian democracy? If you oh, think I your citizens are only allowed to see things that won't upset them, but they, they really can never know about things that may change their whole view of life, reality, dimensionals, what happens when we die. Remember the, the, the guy at the Pentagon who yelled at uh, uh, Wheeler, yeah. you know, you're, only, you're not supposed to know this until you're you die. You're not supposed to know that until you die. <laughs> yeah, well, but what's the point of Madisonian democracy if we're not supposed to hear and see and act on the truth? Well, I agree with you, of course. I'm not advocating for that position. I'm just reporting to you. Well, um, it's, what, it's... Whatever is being withheld in these really not that many records that still need to be released, um, they're, they're obviously the core of the big secret. And... Uh, I don't know if they're going to be released on December fifteenth. I would, I imagine they're going. I imagine that that uh, Biden will uh, approve the release of some of them, 
but probably not this great secret, whatever it is. But how can even a president contravene that which is enshrined in law? <laughs> he does. In other words, that means we, nothing matters anymore, if no, it ever no, did. That's not true. No, I learned at the conference that there are, you know, when whenever Congress passes a law like this, they always give themselves an out. And and the law, the, the, the Records Release Act, JFK Records Act um, has this deadline and they keep putting it off and now the new deadline is, is coming December 15th, 2022. But the law has six exceptions, six, six ways that any agency who has records that anybody demands to be released, including the president, can come up with one of these excuses um, for not releasing them. And, uh, you know, they're one of the big one, of course, is national security. So, so Congress gave an out, six outs actually, uh, in in the Records Act. So we, we'll see what happens. But I wanted to get that quote across: the truth is too terrible for the American people ever to know. That's not very encouraging. See, no, the not. thing that's so disappointing to me about List and Sheck and all those other folks, including people that you and I know very well together who will not come back on this show because, you know, it's too sensitive. None of them mention the damn ruins. It's one yeah. thing to talk about spaceships and UFOs and things that go bump in the night and things seen on radar and things seen on, you know, fuzzy infrared film and all, but the ruins are implacably there. They're either there or they're not there. And with appropriate photography, n no one until they land and go over and kick the walls, will be able to gainsay that they're not what they appear to be, which is geometric, ancient, structured ruins in incredible disrepair. And there's so many of them, they cover huge portions of the lunar surface. And they were first seen, my item number four, by the CIA from Earth orbit, item number five, because originally Project Corona, as you know, was the answer to uh, Khrushchev turning down, uh, or, no, it wasn't Khrushchev. It was uh, uh, was it Khrushchev? Yeah, it was Khrushchev yeah, turning it was Khrushchev. down turning down Eisenhower's open skies uh, idea and saying, "No, you can't fly airplanes over us, and I guess we can't fly airplanes over you." So Eisenhower turned to his intelligence community, and says, "What can you do in the way of looking down from space?" And they came up with the technology for what they called, incredibly appropriately named. Project Corona, which I think is a triple entendre a la Emily Dickinson, uh, you know, cubed. And it and, was also the Corona satellite that saved Neil Armstrong. Well, it's, the same, it's the same program. It's the same damn yeah. program. Okay, so had multiple uses. So if you look at number five, it shows you geometrically what the CIA in response to Eisenhower's call to look at how many missiles the Soviets had aimed at us in all-out thermonuclear Armageddon annihilation mad scenarios. And they said, Mr. President, we can do this. We can do it in the next number of years. And so he authorized a program, a very secret program called Corona, which was supposed to, if you look at the bottom left of my number five diagram, you know, look down from a polar orbit, take lots and lots of pictures on film, and then eject the film capsule, which would be captured as after it re-entered the atmosphere by an airplane somewhere over the South Pacific, a uh, uh, Air Force uh, cargo uh, plane with a kind of a trapeze thingy which would snag the parachute, bring it inside, fly it to CIA headquarters on both coasts, make copies, and then send it to photo interpreters to analyze it. On the first successful missions, they got more square mileage of high-quality film of the Soviet Union's uh, military capabilities than in all the U-2 flights beforehand combined, up to and including the flight where the Francis Gary Powers was shot down uh, by a, uh, a air-launched, uh, or sorry, a ground-launched air-to-air missile. Um, so, if you look at the third panel in my number five, it turns out that Project Corona also and we're trying to get to the bottom of how this happened, it looked at a place that the Soviets were nowhere near to being and could never have been a threat from, i.e. the moon. Now, how do I know that? Because a few years ago, I was offered 
a copy of Corona film. And through a very complicated soap opera process, I didn't physically have it in my possession, but I had people who did briefly. They made some copies of some frames. I got the frames. I was able to work with the frames. They told me that every single frame had nothing to do with Soviet missile bases or airports or, you know, bombers or whatever. It was every single frame was shot of the moon on what was supposed to be a satellite reconnaissance of capabilities of the Soviet Union here on Earth. What was the CIA doing looking at the moon in collaboration, by the way, with the U.S. Air Force? Well, if you look at number six, on the left is the corona image. On the right is the uh, a, a terrestrial image shot with a major telescope for comparison, I think the Lick Observatory. And you'll see that on the left-hand image taken by the CIA in Corona across a quarter million miles, but in the vacuum of space, there's weird obscuration of very interesting and well-known features uh, on the moon's surface that is not present in the photographs taken from the surface of the Earth through the Earth's atmosphere with a major terrestrial telescope. How do we explain this? Obviously, the, the, the filtering of the CIA moon image was different than the filtering of the ground-based moon image. And because they were in a vacuum, um, if you look in the ultraviolet, that's where you'll see the glass. This is my first indication that most of the moon's surface was covered by a multi-leveled, miles-thick glass shield in decks or layers of incredible complexity, incredible age, incredible sophistication, something that is so far beyond our current technological capabilities or even our, our wildest visions that anybody who looked at this and realized it was real would basically freak out and it would fall in the category, Barbara, of things the American people can never know about because whoever did this, if they wanted to, could squash us like a bug. And can I just ask you a simple question? Yeah, sure. Um, I'd like to know, how do we know that those photographs actually that were delivered to you were from Corona and not from something else? Because there is a frame where it's listed in terms of actual ID numbers, the film registration, and my name has been put on the film in magic, in, 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 uh, you know, magic marker uh, as designated for me. No, I understand that, but that, that could be true from an image taken by a telescope we don't know about or something. Yeah, but you can't do this from the Earth. You can only do it from space because ultraviolet does not penetrate the Earth's atmosphere. Okay, I understand. That's the answer. Okay. And we right. now have umpteen images taken by Apollo and all kinds of unmanned satellites, including the Japanese and the Chinese, and everybody agree. I mean, they all their data agrees there's stuff there. There's a dome there. There's incredible glass structures. So it turns out that CIA was merely the first to give this information to Kennedy. And that's when Kennedy changed totally from we have to keep the Soviets from getting there first to we're going to go there with the Soviets. And we're at the top of the hour. My guest this morning, Barbara Honiger. Uh, Robert Morningstar is waiting in the wings. Andrew Curry is standing just off stage. Keith Morgan is monitoring the dials. And have I forgotten anyone? Yes, Georgia Lambert will join us in hour number three. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed and the sound quality has been enhanced. 
You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out. <laughs>